Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. On today's program, a Tennessee adoption agency is sued in a case that could impact religious liberty for millions of Americans. And the ARC, Association of Related Churches, is in the news again and, once again, not for good reasons. We begin today with news of one of the biggest financial frauds we have ever seen here at Ministry Watch. Yes, Staccato Powell, the former president of the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, AME Zion's Board of Bishops, has been charged in federal court with fraud and conspiracy connected to allegations of his mishandling the properties of congregations in California and fraudulently gaining millions of dollars, in fact, about $14 million for personal use. Powell and Sheila Quintana were indicted on January 6th, but the charges were not unsealed until Tuesday. Yeah, both were charged with one count of conspiracy to commit wire and mail fraud and two counts of wire fraud. Powell was also charged with one count of mail fraud. Powell was arrested Tuesday in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and appeared in federal court in North Carolina, right here, not very far from where I live, as a matter of fact. Quintana was arrested Tuesday in Vallejo, California, and appeared in a Sacramento court. They are expected to make an online appearance in a California court in early February. Both face a possible maximum sentence of 20 years for each violation, along with a maximum fine of $250,000 and three years of supervised release after a prison term. Yeah, and they'll also be asked to pay back as much of the money as they can, probably, but it's likely that a lot of it is gone. In fact, authorities allege that the two diverted funds that were acquired through fraudulent loans and the proceeds were used by Powell to purchase properties and retire mortgage debts on his personal residence. And Quintana uh, made a cash payment to her spouse. Uh, In all, as I said, more than $14 million have so far uh, been unaccounted for. So how did the fraud work? Well, it was actually um, pretty clever, though I don't really understand how they didn't think they would get caught. Um, Powell and Quintana created a separate entity called the Western Episcopal District Incorporated uh, after Powell was elected as a bishop of the very similarly named Western Episcopal District of the AME Zion Church. That's a denomination that dates back to 1796. They then used the new entity that they created to get millions of dollars in loans on churches that had previously been either debt-free or had very little debt. So it was the proceeds of those loans, money that came from the banks, that they actually used to pay themselves with. So this wasn't just a bookkeeping error or some administrative mistake. It sounds like this was quite an elaborate plan. 
Yeah, the authorities also allege that Powell and Quintana used false statements to obtain grant deeds from pastors and fake resolution documents that supposedly shows that the local congregations had, in fact, approved the loans, when, in fact, the local congregations had no idea that they were being saddled with debt. And I, I might add that Powell was removed as a bishop last year after a church trial found him guilty of the misuse of funds. However, Powell amazingly has maintained his innocence, saying that, in fact, he was in the process of ushering in what he called a new paradigm for church growth in the AME Zion denomination. Our next story is from Tennessee, and it has significant religious liberty implications. Well, it certainly could, uh, depending upon how this case goes. The case in summary is this. Americans United for Separation of Church and State, that's a secular group, has filed a lawsuit against the Tennessee Department of Children's Services on behalf of a Jewish couple who claim that a state-funded adoption agency, that's Holston United Methodist Home, refused to provide the Jewish couple with child placement services because they were not Christian. Now, I thought the courts had already clearly established that Christian adoption agencies have the right to place children only with Christian families. Well, you're right. But when a Christian agency receives taxpayer support, the situation becomes a lot more complicated. Uh, this suit alleges that the children's services violated the Tennessee Constitution's religious freedom and equal protection provisions by contracting with and using tax dollars to fund an agency that they say engages in religious discrimination. Also, most cases up until now have involved same-sex couples attempting to adopt. In this case, it's a male and female married couple, Elizabeth and Gabriel Rutan Ram. When they realized that they could not have biological children, they identified a Florida boy with a disability for whom they wanted to provide a home. Is this case going to get any traction? Well, it's not clear. The agency, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's Holston United Methodist Children's Home, has been in the news in recent years because it has taken a strong stand upholding its Christian values. It would not, for example, place uh, children with uh, same-sex couples. So the court will likely not think Holston, Holston is being whimsical or arbitrary in its beliefs. They are, in fact, sincere religious convictions, and the court does take that into account. On the other hand, this is kind of the perfect couple uh, for uh, Americans united for the separation of church and state to sort of bring up. I mean, they're a, they're an attractive couple. It's a male-female couple, not a same-sex couple, and they are religious. They just don't happen to be Christian. They uh, claim to be um, a devout Jewish family. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out just in terms of the um, optics of it. I will say that Tennessee Governor Bill Lee last year signed into law House Bill 836, which says that taxpayer money can, in fact, go to foster care agencies in Tennessee that uphold Christian principles in its placement. So on the face of it, it appears that this case doesn't have much of a chance in the face of that law, but Americans United is a powerful and well-funded group, and they say they're committed to getting HB 836 
overturned in the courts. So I think the most I can say now in this case, Natasha, is stay tuned. Our next story involves the divorce of a pastor of an Orlando area megachurch and his wife. Yeah, Justin Daly is the lead pastor of Action Church. Uh, He divorced his wife, Stephanie, last June. Now, normally that wouldn't be huge news, perhaps. Uh, It would be, of course, a personal and a family tragedy. But what makes this story something that we're interested in here at Ministry Watch is that the pastor, Justin Daly, actually went through the divorce very quietly, uh, some might say secretly, and he remained pastor during the entire time. In fact, the divorce took place last summer and wouldn't have come to light at all without the intrepid reporting of the Roy's report, who broke the story earlier this week. They tracked down court records from a a county three hours across the state from where they lived. Uh, Now, Florida is a no-fault divorce state, so no cause was given in the court records. And by the way, I should say that Ministry Watch got our own uh, copy of the court records and confirmed the Royce Report's reporting. Now, this is not the first time that Justin Daly has been involved in controversy. Yeah, Justin Daly and his church are part of an organization called ARC, which uh, is an acronym for the Association of Related Churches. He's among three pastors who are named in a lawsuit that alleges ARC and these pastors knew that another ARC pastor, Joshua Mawney, in fact, he was ARC's national director of church planting for a season, had a history of sexual misconduct, but was still allowed to plant and lead a church in Florida, where he was accused even there of repeatedly sexually assaulting his female assistant. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, some foreign mission organizations say they cannot reveal information to donors because of security concerns. Now, are these security concerns real or just excuses? And we'll take a closer look. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, you don't have to look at the daily news for too long to know that the world is a dangerous place. There are places in the world where it is dangerous to be a Christian or even to spread the gospel to the lost. 
Yeah, Christian watchdog groups like Open Doors have uh, published lists of what the most dangerous places in the world are, and uh, they published their most recent list last week. Afghanistan was at the top of that list. North Korea, which is normally at the top of that list, actually fell to number two, but has been on in the top ten for many years. The annual list shows that a there was a 24% increase from last year of Christians killed because of their faith. Persecution is also based on things like the risk of violence, arrest, churches being closed, and laws that threaten foundational Christian thought or activity. North Korea, for example, has barred the Bible um, because they say it is a foreign published material. So yeah, you're exactly right. It can be a dangerous place out there for Christians. However, do security concerns within countries like Afghanistan and North Korea translate into a need for secrecy by missionary and aid organizations that raise money in the United States? Well, that's a question that we asked our reporter, Kim Roberts, to explore, and she came back with uh, a careful and, I think, nuanced exploration of all the issues involved. Among the things that she learned was that secrecy is often not the right approach. So when a missions organization says that they can't reveal information because of uh, secrecy, because they're operating in closed countries, uh, what we're learning is that that might be just the opposite of what they should be doing, because people who are being persecuted in faraway countries often feel abandoned and alone. They, in fact, want the exposure and the attention. In some cases, that actually keeps them alive. Uh, if a ministry uses security issues as an excuse for failing to reveal certain information, like what countries they're operating in, financial information, how much money is being deployed there, for example, uh, it, as an excuse for not providing donors with these updates, our position here at Ministry Watch is that donors should absolutely beware of that behavior. But the issue is complicated, and I do recommend reading Kim Roberts' complete article. It's really well done and should be a resource for Christians who care about helping Christians in dangerous parts of the world. Our next story involves a Michigan youth pastor charged with child sex crimes. Yeah, a former youth minister in Port Huron, Michigan, is being held on a $25,000 bond after being charged with sex crimes against four juveniles. William Stephan Wall is 28 years old. He is from Port Huron. He was accused of criminal sexual conduct with four underage victims that he met through his job as a youth minister at the River Church, which is in Kimball Township in Michigan. Wall was charged with a variety of crimes that we outline in the story, and you can read them there. I will just say that if he's convicted of all of them, he could face more than 40 years in prison. The abuse allegedly happened between 2014 and 2021, and police investigations began in November of last year. Now, the River Church is led by co-pastors Bill and Kim Wall, and they issued a statement saying that its board of elders was made aware of the accusations and terminated William Wall after an investigation. Warren, we're going to take another break. When we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, here at Ministry Watch, we publish a lot of stories of ministries behaving badly. So we like to also have a significant number of stories about ministries doing great work. And one of those ministries in Southern California is the Orange County Rescue Mission. I'm not going to dive into the story in great detail here, except to say that I'm personally a fan of this ministry, and I've been to the mission myself. I've actually taken a tour of their really amazing campus in Tustin, California, with its director, Jim Palmer, and they are really doing great work there. And I want to use this story as an excuse to mention that we now have more than 100 rescue missions in our Ministry Watch database. Yeah, as many of our listeners may know, there are thousands of homeless shelters, soup kitchens, addiction recovery programs out there all around the country. But we've identified those that are members of CityGate, which was formerly known as the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions. These are rescue missions that really take their biblical foundational principles seriously. They do biblical Christ-centered work, and those are the ones that we put in our database. So if you want to support this kind of work in your local community, it's sometimes hard to know who to give to because many of them, they're doing good work, but it's completely secular. They might be taking a lot of government funds as well. I recommend that you start with our database and find the one that is close to you and doing great work locally. Another ministry I know you're fond of is The Rabbit Room. Yeah, I want to be clear that we don't feature ministries just because I like them, but I do sometimes grow fond of the ministries we cover as I get to know more about them. In this case, I've known about the Rabbit Room for years, and I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that I support their work, and I've worked with the Rabbit Room on projects in the past. The Rabbit Room was created to build and nourish stronger Christ-centered communities by cultivating stories, music, and art. Yeah, it was founded in 2006 by singer, songwriter, and author Andrew Peterson after he visited Oxford, England, and was inspired by the stories of the Inklings. Many of our listeners probably know who the Inklings are, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Dorothy Sayers, and others. They met at a place called the Rabbit Room, which was the back room of the Eagle and Child Pub to discuss and share their stories and ideas with each other. Peterson is, of course, known for his music and his popular Wing Feather saga. He came home from England uh, with the hope of building a community similar to the Inklings, where writers and musicians could encourage, support, and strengthen one another in their calling to draw attention to grace by showing the pinprick of light, overcoming the darkness in the painting or the story or the song. Those are, that's a quote from their mission statement, in fact. 
And the Rabbit Room has seen rapid growth in the last few years. Yeah, Executive Director Pete Peterson, who is Andrew's brother, told Ministry Watch that uh, what began as a blog to encourage and nourish a community of Christ-centered artists, authors, and musicians has since flourished into a pretty well-known ministry. They started, for example, Rabbit Room Press in 2008, and they've published popular works of fiction by not just Andrew Peterson himself, but also many other authors, books of poetry. And this is what has really fueled a lot of their growth. Um, Douglas McKelvey's book, Every Moment Holy, which is a book of liturgies, has gone into multiple uh, printings, and they've also done a second volume of liturgies, which are just, it's just a really beautiful book. I, we use it a lot in my family, uh, holidays and special occasions, and really enjoy it a lot. And in 2010, uh, the Rabbit Room started hosting Hutchmoot. Uh, that's a conference held in Nashville where the Rabbit Room is located to celebrate, again, story, art, music, food, faith, and fellowship. I've attended Hutchmoot, and it's really a cool event. And who is in Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, we've got several Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, Kenya Hope, Heart for Iran are in their uh, co- are in her column this week, but I want to focus on one in particular. Living Free is a Bible-based addiction recovery program for people that are struggling with destructive behaviors. What's interesting about this program is that it has had some success with virtual approaches. Uh, that's critical since a lot of small communities don't have addiction recovery programs. And of course, during COVID, it's been very difficult to bring people together in residential facilities. So having a virtual addiction recovery program, while you might think it wouldn't work, has in fact uh, been working for lots of people. In fact, since November of 2018, the Living Free Virtual Academy has graduated more than 650 people, and they've come from 56 countries, 37 states, and more than 300 different communities around the country. Again, just highlighting the fact that the virtual program can go places where a residential or an in-person program can't go. You can read more and find links to all of the organizations in Christina's uh, column this week at the Ministry Watch website, or check the links in our daily emails. Wow, that is incredible. Do you have any final thoughts before we go today? Well, I just want to remind everybody that Christina's Ministries Making a Difference column is made up of information that we mostly get from readers and listeners uh, themselves. They send us news tips, press releases, emails, and links, and Christina then chases down the details and turns them into, you might say, real journalism. And that's how we get a lot of our stories as well. For example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a story on the Point Church in North Carolina. That came from tips from readers. Also, a story that we did this week, it's on the front page of our website right now, called uh, On the Barnabas Fund, uh, is another story that uh, we got from a reader tip that we turned into an article. So if you have a story that you'd like for us to cover, maybe a ministry that you think needs a closer look, either for good reasons or bad, please send us an email. Uh, Our email is info at ministrywatch.com. Those emails come directly to my desk and we'll take it from there. And I also want to remind everybody that Monday is the last day of the month. And that means it's the last day you can make a gift to Ministry Watch 
and receive as our thank you gift a copy of Wade Mullen's really excellent book called Something's Not Right, Decoding the Hidden Tactics of Abuse and Freeing Yourself from Its Power. We did a webinar with Wade this week on Tuesday. He did a great job fielding not just my questions, but questions from about 150 people who signed up for that webinar. And I say all of that to say this. I really recommend this book. To get a copy, just go to ministrywatch.com, hit the donate button at the top of the page, and we'll send you a book within a few days. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Adele M. Banks, Liza Vandenboon Ashley, Kim Roberts, and Christina Darnell. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.